Well, any OK Go fans out there? <laughs> they make great videos. Uh, they're a really interesting band. I don't know about you guys. My name is Mike Rutledge. Uh, incidentally, I'm the uh, director of arts here. And I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, sometimes I feel like that's what my life is like. I step off one treadmill onto another. You ever, ever feel that? And uh, today we're, we're beginning a conversation uh, that's going to uh, go through this week and next week where we're talking about busyness in our lives. And uh, next week, Dave is going to be talking with you uh, about Sabbath, what, what it means to have Sabbath or rest in our lives. And this week, we're looking at taking inventory in our life, looking at all the things that are happening in, and in our life and just evaluating uh, what we're doing with those. Let me just start by asking you this question. You can raise your hand. How many of you would raise your hand and say, yes, I think my life is pretty busy? Yeah, just about everyone here. And I think that that's, that's probably a, a, a true statement. There's a... You may have heard uh, this quote that says, uh, busy is a drug that many of us are addicted to, right? And uh, we're going to be looking at this topic of busyness, but I want to kind of approach it today from an angle that maybe doesn't seem quite so obvious. See, I believe that we don't primarily have a busyness problem, actually. Now, I, I, after saying that, I want you to understand, we all just raised our hand and said we're busy, and I can tell you by 8 o'clock most days, I'm ready for a nap. You know, get the kids off to school and I'm ready to cash in for a little bit. So we are busy, but what I want to help us understand is I don't believe that busyness is the problem. I actually think we have a worship problem, and that worship problem is called idolatry. And idolatry simply stated is this, worshiping anything other than God or anything that tries to be God. I think that's the real problem. You know, uh, my friend Steve Goldring sent me this uh, podcast to watch. It's a, it's a podcast. Mark Driscoll's a pastor in Seattle. Of a, he's, a pretty, uh, he's just a great speaker. And he was sharing a story of, of a trip that he took out to India. And uh, so, you know, you fly over to India. That's, that's a day of your life, right? Flying, just getting there. And then he has to drive this long distance. And then after they drove, he had to walk miles to get to this thing. He was some sort of pastor's uh, like conference that he was, he was going to be attending. And uh, so he walks this long distance. He gets to the place that he's supposed to be at. And he sees this guy uh, in India plowing a field with an oxen, right? And then he goes into this shack, and in this shack he sees the uh, feathers of a chicken and blood of a chicken from this ritualistic uh, sacrifice that had happened. And he strikes up a conversation with a woman that's in there, and she says to him, hey, have you ever, uh, you know, have you ever been to India before? He said, no, it's my first time. She says, well, what do you think? And he's like, I don't know, it's pretty interesting. And he's trying to soak it all in, and, she, and he says to her, well, how about you? You ever been to America? And uh, she says, yeah. And he goes, well, you think you'll ever come back? And her response was very interesting. She says, I'll never go back. I can't stomach the idolatry. <laughs> and he, Mark Driscoll said his response was like, hey, well, if this is a plank and speck conversation, I think we win here in America, right? And what he realized as he thought a little more deeply was this, that actually the issue is that it's just easier to identify idolatry in other cultures and other people than it is in our own culture and ourselves. Martin Luther says, that to which your heart clings and it trusts itself to is really your God. It's, just, it's really interesting because you think about this. Back in the Bible times and even in cultures today, people create little, little altars and idols that they, they actually carry around with them. They you know, put them in their pockets to bless people. And they carry them with them, kind of like our iPhones, right? And they, 
and they uh, have altars in their houses. In the Old Testament, they'd put altars in their houses and they'd put seats around it, kind of like our televisions and our entertainment centers. And then they'd have around town these little altars and little gathering places, kind of like our coffee houses and bars, right? <laughs> and then they have the big ones, like big, big temples where the people would gather together to worship, like our stadiums for, where we watch sports and, and cheer for our musicians, or malls, how about that, where we give our offerings, right? Well, I want you to take a look at something here, uh, just as we talk about this. This is a, just, just some logos up here. Take a look at this. And I want you to, there are nine logos up there. Raise your hand if you can identify, now no names are up there. If you can identify eight of the nine, raise your hand. Just about everyone in the house. Everyone, almost everyone here can identify all of those. Now, I want you to understand that I'm, I'm not saying that those are bad things, okay? Well, McDonald's is bad, actually. <laughs> Other than McDonald's, I'm not saying those are bad things. No, it's not. Pepsi's awesome. (laughs) Where's our security? (laughs) Those are not bad things, necessarily, in and of themselves. Maybe you go, okay, I think actually, Mike, you're going a little bit, you're being a little extreme. You're going too far. And I just want to tell you, no, I don't think I am. See, these things represent stature, their pursuits, they're where our money goes, it's where we spend our time. I want to share with you six statements about idolatry that I think help clarify and bring into, into light what idolatry is. And if you are a note taker, I'd encourage you to write these six things down. And as you're writing them down, here's what I'll say. Think through your life and ask yourself, as I read these to you, if any one of these or if many of these are true about anything that's in your life. Because if they are, then you probably have a problem with idolatry. And I'm just going to tell you, one of the things I hate most about speaking on Sundays is that every time I prepare, it's so convicting. Because as I prepared this message, I realized that I have idols in my life that have to go. And my guess is all of you do as well. Six statements. The first one is this. An idol is a good thing that tries to be God. You've probably heard Dave Nelson say this. I'll repeat it. My wife is a, my wife is a good wife. She, my wife is a great wife, actually, but she is not a good God. And many of us try and make our spouses our gods, and that's idolatry. Second statement. An idol is something that keeps you up at night and wakes you up in the morning. Or you could say an idol is something that keeps you up at night so that you can't get up in the morning. Like that NBC, remember the NBC thing we just looked at up there? An idol is anyone or anything that replaces Jesus at the center of your life. Could be kids, could be a relationship, could be alcohol, could be drugs. Anything that replaces Christ at the center of your life. Statement four, it's, an idol is any created thing that takes the creator's place in your life. Something that I am pursuing with all of my heart, like that Mercedes symbol. Nothing wrong with the Mercedes, but when that becomes the focus of what I'm pursuing, it's an idol. Statement five, an idol is what I turn to instead of God to get what I want. And I think we probably all can identify times in our lives when we've turned to something other than God to get something that we felt we needed. The final one is this. Idolatry always leads to slavery. And that's why we as Americans are addicted and perverted and indebted because we have idols in our lives. Not convinced? Check this out, I did, did some, some uh, stats checking. Do you realize that in July of 20, or tw- 2012, one month 
of the year 2012, Americans spent 121 billion minutes on social media sites. That's 388 minutes or six and a half hours per person, assuming that everyone in America used social media. Grand total of 230,000 years spent on social media in one month. Assuming everyone uses it. But let's dig a little deeper. Social networking eats three plus hours a day of our lives for those who are doing it. We spend 34 hours a week, which is just short of five hours a day watching television. 190 million tweets per day. We spend two hours on our phone. And here's a little bit of a flip side. 57% of Americans, the majority of us, spend up to four times a year reading our Bible. We spend over $14 billion on beauty products and fitness products. We spend $40 billion on weight loss and George Barna did a study and he found that people who give to their churches on average per person give about 20 bucks a week. See, there's something out of whack. Tim Keller says, the problem in our hearts is not so much desires for bad things, but our over-desires for good things. See, and here's the problem. It gets actually worse. With all the pursuit and all the things that we spend our time and our days in, and if you add it up, we've blown through more than a day in just what I read you there, and there's a lot more that we try and accomplish in our day. But here's the thing. It gets worse because only after all of our pursuits and ways we spend our days, one-third, for the last 40 years, consistently, only one-third of the people in America would say that they are very happy. 60% of the people polled said they feel worse after going on a social networking site about themselves. And, you, and this is a kicker, that we ranked out of 52 nations, we ranked 17th happiest. The nation that makes the most money in the world ranked 17th behind countries like Malaysia, Tanzania, and Vietnam. See, the problem is that what we're pursuing with our time is not producing the results we're hoping for. Peter Kreeft, he's a professor at Boston College, he says this, that the opposite of Christianity is not atheism, it is idolatry. Because idolatry actually, atheism you just reject God, and idolatry we actually turn our worship away from God towards something else. What I want to do in the time we have here uh, this morning is I want to look at God's word. And the good news is this. I, I say this all the time. The good news is this. We're not the first people to deal with this issue. God's word has a lot to say about this. So if you have your Bibles, turn in, in, in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. It'll be up on the screens here as well. And I'm going to read, read from uh, the Bible and share some, some thoughts with you about this issue. Because, again, I don't believe we have primarily a busyness problem. I believe we have a worship problem. And that worship problem is called idolatry. And idolatry, simply put, is worshiping anything other than God. Look at this. Exodus chapter 20 says this. Then God gave the people all these, <clears throat> all these instructions. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make yourself an idol 
of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Now, let me put a little perspective on this. First, this Exodus 20. Some of you probably already picked up on that clue. Exodus 20 is when the Israelites received the Ten Commandments. And in the passage that I just read, I read the first, the very first two, no gods but me, no idols. Those are the first two. And I, as I studied this this week, one thing, it just all of a sudden came into light for me. Let me just contextualize, and anytime you're reading God's Word, I just think one of the most valuable things you can do is understand what's happening. Don't just read it like it, you know, understand what's happening in this picture. Now, for 400 years previous to this, 400 years previous to this, the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians, right? 400 years. And it says in Exodus chapter 19, two months after they've been freed from the Egyptians, they land in Sinai and this happens. Two months after that. Now what's interesting is they get the Ten Commandments and if you recall the story, Moses goes up the mountain and he spends time with God. And then the people get worried because Moses doesn't come down. Remember, the first two commandments that he's already given them are this. Love only me. Don't have idols. Well, the people get nervous because Moses doesn't come back down. They've lived for 400 years. Every single person that he's talking to in this passage was born and raised in Egyptian slavery. They have not worshipped God freely of their own. They've worshipped under Egyptian rule. Moses goes up the mountain, they don't come down. What's the next thing they do? They say, hey, here's our earrings, melt them down, let's make an idol. And they make an idol right after they've received the commandments from God, after he's delivered them from Egypt, slaughtered the Egyptians as they tried to follow him through the Red Sea. And the first thing they do when they get worried is what? They make an idol to worship God. Where did they learn that? In their Egyptian captivity, because that's how the Egyptians worshipped. And in this pre-iPhone era that they lived in, <laughs> the same problem was invading the Israelites. With things other than God, these idols were clamoring for their attention and the affections of the people, and their lives were filling up with things other than God. Maybe they called it busy too, I'm not sure. See, I think it's really important for us to understand what's happening in this section of the Bible. What God is doing is he's saying, hey, most of you don't even know what it means to live freely as an Israelite. We're going to wipe the slate clean and we're going to set it straight from here forward. This is what I want of people who call me, who follow me. New page. I'm going to come back to this passage in just a, a, a little bit, but here's what I want to do with you. I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you four things again. If you're writing down, I would write these four things down that I want to share with you. So how do, we, how do we love God only, and how do we avoid having images and idols in our lives? First thing is this. We seek Him first. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, and it says this. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? 
right? What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. See, what he says is, seek me first. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Don't worry about the Nike symbols or the Mercedes or the McDonald's. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Seek me and I'll provide for you. But so many of us seek to provide for ourselves and then if there's room left, we'll squeeze God into a Bible reading four times a year. Second thing is this, seek him diligently. Look at Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 6. It says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. What does it say? Without faith. Well, what is faith? Faith is believing that God is who he says he is so that I trust him to provide my needs instead of pursuing them on my own. That's the first thing. We just read that in the last verse. And then it says this, but he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. See, the point here is that God is not as concerned about the one time you do something. He's concerned about the consistent behaviors that you put in your life because that demonstrates what we put faith in. If we're putting all our time into other stuff that can be called idols and very little time into God, what, is, what are we putting faith in? Not God. And diligence says, I will faithfully do the same thing over and over for you. The third thing is this. Seek him with all of your heart. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30 says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. See, there's only, what he's saying, there's only one God that's worth serving. I, the Lord your God, am one. I am the one that's worth serving. We find in Luke, what's he say? You can't serve two masters because if you have two masters, you end up loving one and hating the others. And this is a problem for us because many of us want to love God fully and engage with him fully, yet we still want to have other gods that we 